Welcome to the Center for Grassland Studies podcast series. I'm your host, Margo McKendry, Program Coordinator for the Center. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Melissa Panella, Wildlife Diversity Program Manager with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for joining me, Melissa. Yeah, you're welcome. It's great to be here. To begin with, as we start to talk about pollinator habitat, can you talk to us about what the components of good pollinator habitat are? Yes, uh, and first, thank you so much for inviting me to talk about pollinators on grasslands and grazing lands in Nebraska. It's a topic that I'm really excited about. And like most wildlife, pollinators are going to need some some basic things. They need food, water, shelter, and space. And excellent pollinator habitat is going to be able to provide nectar sources throughout the growing season. So here in Nebraska, we're really talking about that time frame being from around mid-April to mid-October, that there would be flowers out on the land. And native plants that have overlapping blooming periods are going to offer some of the best flowers for insect and bird pollinators um, because the plants and the native animals have co-evolved, so they really rely on each other. And some insect pollinators are going to require specific plants during part of their life cycle. You know, you think about what you learned in school from the egg to the larvae to the butterfly, for example. And so when uh, a pollinator needs a specific plant, we call that plant a host plant. And one of the most recognizable examples of this is the, the monarch caterpillars. So a lot of people are familiar with monarchs and how the larvae need to eat the milkweed. And so what that does, the milkweed, and there's many species of milkweed, like common, showy, world milkweeds. We have a great variety of milkweeds in Nebraska. And those stems and leaves of the milkweed produce what's a like a sticky white latex. Um, And so that substance gives a monarch a chemical defense mechanism. And so that helps prevent it from being eaten by birds, for example. So if a bird eats one icky tasting monarch that's going to make it sick, it's unlikely to try to go after another one. So it learns from that negative reinforcement. Monarchs don't make me feel good, and I don't want to eat those anymore. We also have regal fritillary caterpillars, and so they need the violets. That's their host plant. And it can be a variety of violets, like the prairie violets and the tawny crescent. So that's a butterfly that they're rare in Nebraska. Sometimes they show up in western Nebraska, um, but mostly north of us. But they depend on a plant called the smooth blue aster. And so that's its host plant. So in early spring, when many forbs haven't bloomed yet, the shrubs and smaller trees can also offer habitat resources. And perennial bunch grasses like big and little blue stem, they can provide cover for native bees. And they also offer these pockets of bare ground, you know, the way that they grow in those bunches. And so that bare ground can be used for nesting of bees, for example. And then the late season flowers, those are going to be needed throughout the Midwest and the Great Plains to support the monarch's long annual migration to Mexico, um, where they overwinter. So in terms of what to expect on grazing lands, grasslands and grazing land can offer a variety of plants that support pollinator habitat. 
typically the more plant diversity, the better. You know, we typically try to aim for at least nine different varieties of forbs um, or flowering plants. And uh, if people can find ways to maintain a high quality grassland, that can be beneficial to livestock, uh, for forage, but also for pollinator habitat. So it's really a win-win. Uh, it can be a win for agricultural producers and a win for the pollinators. Now, you've already mentioned a few pollinators, but are there other principal pollinators found on Nebraska grasslands and grazing lands? Some of those butterflies I mentioned, you know, they usually get most of the attention because they're most active during you know, the middle of a sunny day and they have vivid colors and patterns on their wings. Uh, but in terms of pollination, it's really tough to do better than the bees because they can move pollen very efficiently. We have hundreds of species of bees in our state and we shouldn't forget about the often overlooked solitary ground nesting and cavity nesting bees. So most people are familiar with the fuzzy looking bumblebees. You know, some folks might even think they're kind of cute as they fly around and, and the way they pollinate with that buzzing um, action. But these bees don't nest in hives like you've seen for honeybees. Their nesting is different. And Nebraska also has lots of moths and beetles. So they're also important pollinators. And there are many insects out there that they're not pests and they're actually very beneficial to grassland ecosystems. And they also contribute to food security for humans. Uh, At-risk regal fritillaries, they're grassland specialists, and they're most often associated with rangelands. Um, like I mentioned, they need those prairie violets, or, well, not just prairie violets, other kind of violets they can use too. But we can't just plant violets in our yards in the city and hope that regal fritillaries are going to just find and use them. They need those grassland ecosystems. So that's really important to their survival. And like I said, they're most often associated with those landscapes. Okay, and you've mentioned the violet and some other plants, but are there principal plant species found commonly on grazing and grasslands that make better pollinator habitat? There can be. And a few years ago, I worked with our state botanist with the Nebraska Game and Parks uh, Commission and some other folks, and we put together a list of pollinator-friendly plants for Nebraska. And so anyone that wants to access this list, it is online. They can go to www.outdoornebraska.org. So that's the main Game and Parks uh, webpage. And they can either just from there search Monarch Conservation Plan in the search tool, or they can type a slash right after the homepage and just type in Monarch Conservation Plan there. And so that'll take them to that plan. And there's an appendix at the end of that. So if they don't want to don't have time to read the whole plan and go through it, just want to pull up that plant list, it'll show uh, plants when they bloom, their, you know, their growing period, um, what kind of soils they need, just some basic information in that table. And all of those plants are what I would describe as pollinator-friendly plants. So it's going to also list host plants for our at-risk butterflies and moths. Like I mentioned, a lot of them need those they're very specific to certain plants, those host plants. And on grazing lands and grasslands, like I said, those bunch grasses can be very good for bee nesting habitat. Many pollinators will also use 
plants I've seen them use here in Nebraska, like daisy fleabane, hoary vervain, common milkweed. So these are fairly common plants. June grass is one that can be both good forage and provides nesting material and structure for our native bees. And for cattle, grass lagoon mixtures are going to be both highly digestible and a source of crude protein. So that can be a good mix. For general forage, I should mention many bees and butterflies actually like thistles. So I know you're thinking thistles, those aren't good, right? Well, some thistles are native and so they don't spread aggressively like the non-natives. And those are all all right. Um, of course, for the non-native thistles, it, when you are going to spray them um, or try to get rid of them, you should pay attention when, you know, uh, there's high foraging times for pollinators. Like I mentioned, on those bright, sunny days when those pollinators are going to be most active um, at certain times of the year, you know, that might not be the best time to spray them because you would be impacting potentially those pollinators. Like I mentioned before, a target of providing around nine different flower species is a good goal. And, and you want to have them bloom during overlapping periods of time so that something is always going to be flowering from around April to October in our state. So an example of this, uh, Western yarrow is going to bloom in the spring. And then you might get a bunch of black-eyed Susans that would bloom in the summer. And then plants uh, such as stiff goldenrod is going to have flowers late in the season. So you're, you're offering something throughout that growing season for the pollinators. Okay, so you've mentioned that having a variety of plants that are blooming throughout a season is important. But can you talk to us about what other methods might be used to improve pollinator habitat on grazing and grasslands? Yeah, one that I really like to see are controlled burns. Prescribed burning is one of the best ways to enhance and maintain grasslands. However, in addition to planning and implementing a safe and successful burn, it's also a good idea to leave patches unburned each year as a refuge for species. So an example of this is the regal fritillary. You know, it needs to have a place to go that isn't getting that disturbance as a refuge while the rest of the area is being burned. Otherwise, it can be possible to wipe out a population from an area. And unfortunately, I have seen this done once before with a little bit of overzealous burning. So that's something you just be aware of. You know, it's an important conservation action, an important tool in our toolbox, but we do always have to think about how we're implementing it. Reseeding native species or overseeding is good. Invasive tree removal can make room for more grazing land, planting those specific host plants for butterflies, opening up the ground a bit for those ground nesting bees, kind of being aware of, you know, tilling. If you know there's an area with ground nesting bees, you wouldn't want that tilled to, to disturb them. Think of alternate methods there. Weaving some vegetation litter and stems for the, the cavity nesting bees. Of course, spraying noxious, noxious weeds, which everybody wants to do anyway to try to get rid of those, um, but spraying them when the pollinators aren't active so you're not killing them from direct exposure. And lands that are marginal for production could offer great pollinator potential. Um, with set-asides and a little tender loving care, you know, if you can avoid um, or at least limit use of insecticides, because uh, that's something that could impact them directly if pollinators are exposed to it. And for those with livestock, 
you know, they may not want to graze one area all season long. Rotating the animals to different patches to graze can be helpful. This allows time for the plants to recover after that disturbance. So strategic grazing can better support habitat and allow for optimal forage. Those all sound like really good, actionable ideas. I hope that some of our listeners will um, put those into use on their properties. So thank you for that. Can you provide us with a few success stories of improving pollinator habitat in Nebraska or surrounding states that you're aware of, please? Yeah, so there have been a, a lot of them, actually. I can go through a few examples. We um, have been able to successfully get some National Fish and Wildlife Federation monarch butterfly grants and state wildlife grants. And so with these, the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission has been able to work with partner organization and organizations and landowners to improve pollinator habitat. So with those, We've been able to conduct prescribed burns, remove invasive species, plant milkweeds and high diversity seeds, and successfully grow those prairie violets for the regal fritillaries. But one example of this, we contracted recently with Prairie Plains Resource Institute, and they collected over 3,000 pounds of pure live seed of local ecotype. And this included seed of native grasses like big blue stem and Indian grass. And over the course of that project, we also worked with Northern Prairie's Land Trust. And we enhanced well over 10,000 acres of grassland on private lands. These were located in the sandstone prairie and southeast prairie's biologically unique landscapes of southeastern Nebraska. So that's part of the Nebraska Natural Legacy Project. There are these biologically unique landscapes, or we call them BULs, located throughout the state. And so we were able to enhance that habitat in that southeastern portion of the state with that project. Um, We also exceeded over 600 acres of direct habitat restoration with that project. In addition to the -the on-the-ground work, we've offered multiple education opportunities, such as pollinator workshops for landowners and natural resource professionals as well as programs and resources for students and people who are interested in learning more about supporting pollinators in their area. Work with other states is ongoing. We are trying to do more regional projects, thinking across the state borders, because obviously the animals don't see those, uh, you know, borders we draw on a map. And so an example of that is the Mid-America Monarch Conservation Plan. So we worked with other states. In the Midwest, you know, here in Nebraska, we're on the western edge of the Midwest, but we were part of that plan because we want to work together to conserve the monarch. So we've had a lot of success stories in Nebraska, but there's still lots of work to do, and we're always looking for folks that want to help in that effort. Good. Thank you so much. Now, you did mention that the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission has received grants that they're using to assist landowners, but... Are there state and federal government programs that provide incentives for landowners to improve or develop pollinator habitats that you maybe have not yet mentioned? Yes, there are some of those out there. So like I mentioned, the Nebraska Natural Legacy Project. And with that, we have biologists who can offer technical support. And sometimes, depending on the grant resources, there we can offer financial incentives to landowners who want to create 
and or enhanced habitat for any of Nebraska's at-risk species. Um, so this goes for species beyond just pollinators, any of those in the state that are maybe declining or face other threats. And so we want to do conservation work for them. The Legacy Project works with any within any of Nebraska's 39 biologically unique landscapes. Uh, the funds we have available for these types of conservation activities can vary year to year. So if for some reason we couldn't help someone out one year, maybe we would be able to look at that project again and find a way to fund it the following year. So it you know, just depends on with those variable financial resources we have as a state agency. There's also federal programs that folks may qualify for. So the Natural Resources Conservation Service, NRCS, they have multiple programs that offer financial incentives for practices that are going to conserve land and water, um, and in some cases specifically benefit pollinator habitat. But a lot of those programs might benefit pollinator habitat just in the process um, you know, even if the specific funding source doesn't say it's for pollinators, it may have some conservation actions that are going to benefit them anyway. So some examples are the Conservation Reserve Program, CRP, uh, especially CP42. Um, there's the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, uh, abbreviated EQIP, the Wildlife Habitat Incentives Program, WIP and the Conservation Stewardship Program, CSP. So uh, NRCS, they love their acronyms there. So if you can't remember what they mean, just uh, type in those keywords, talk with a farm bill biologist, and they will definitely help set you in the right direction. Yeah, if you want to learn more about Nebraska Natural Legacy Project, folks can go to www.nebraskanaturallegacy.org. So if you go there, you can pull up the map of Nebraska's biologically unique landscapes. Maybe you want to see if your property fits within one of those BULs that you might be eligible for some various funding opportunities, as I talked about. And if you're just interested in learning or conserving Nebraska pollinators, I can put you in touch with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. We have a pollinator ecologist. Um, and we also have several coordinating wildlife biologists across the state. And they're always happy to help provide more information and maybe even do a site visit for you. Thank you for that great information and for providing those websites to our listeners. That will be very helpful, I'm sure. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add before we close out our discussion here? Keep trying to learn more about these critters as you see them out on the landscape. and. Um, get a field guide, use things like iNaturalist, talk to a biologist. It can be a lot of fun, you know, to ID butterflies and bumblebees and the plants out there too. You know, it seems like just about every time I go out, I see a plant either I hadn't seen for a long time uh, or maybe a completely new one. And, and I always like trying to figure out what it is. Melissa, thank you so much again for joining me today. I appreciate your time and all of the information that you've been able to provide today. Great, Margo. It's been great to be here and talk with you. Thanks. Melissa will be speaking more on this topic when she gives a presentation entitled Simple Steps and Benefits of Including Pollinator Habitat on Your Land as part of the Nebraska Grazing Conference taking place August 9, 10, and 11 in Kearney, Nebraska. 
To learn more about the conference or to register, go to grassland.unl.edu. Thank you for listening.